You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave, an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for my ailments, the health equivalent to Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical doctor, gives me street cred with the wacko alternative medicine assholes. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. And also in the studio today, we have Dr. Ryan. It's probably somewhat premature to call you that. I guess so, a little he's, bit. He's a medical student, but he's a pretty fart smeller. I mean, smart feller. Uh, this is a show for... Well, welcome, Ryan. Hey, glad to be here. Right, just Steve. chip in whenever. You bet. What's that? This is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347. Take it away, Ryan. 22 penis. Oh, no. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) At least he listens. It's true. It's 347. Poohead. Poohead. Visit our website. He was was so excited that he got it I just really wanted to say the word penis. Visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. I can't mention contractually. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, or whatever. Don't forget to check out stuff.drsteve.com for all your holiday shopping. That's stuff.drsteve.com. Takes you to uh, the click-through page where you can click through to Amazon. Also has all the products uh, on our uh, website. Don't forget for your white elephant party, if you have to give a goofy gift, go to flatusflute.com. You can still get it in time for the holidays. Flatusflute.com. I I have nothing to do with these guys, but they're hilarious. Uh, don't forget tweakedaudio.com, perfect stocking stuffers. Tweakedaudio.com, offer code FLUID for 33% off the best earbuds for the price on the market and the best customer service anywhere. And um, uh, don't forget blueapron.com slash medicine. You can get some free meals, and uh, it's really incredible. Um, fun thing to do, cook with your family and try some new things. All right. Oh, and by the way, um, premium.drsteve.com is back up. Uh, I, I, I had canned it. I'm an idiot. I'll talk about it later in the show. But uh, everybody's subscription got canceled. And if you're interested in getting the archives um, of this show, go to premium.drsteve.com and sign back up again. And I promise I won't do this to you again and until I, so I have a stroke or I die, something like that. And I apologize. And I'll try to put some more premium uh, stuff on there. But it gives you uh, access to all the archives of all the shows. 
going uh, back to the beginning. So premium.drsteve.com. So <clears throat> that reminded me, you know, you were so, uh, you know, excited to have the right answer. We had this guy in my class. I'm not going to say his name because he's a practicing physician. But um, <clears throat> we all, he was what we at that time called a gunner. Do you guys have oh, those? for sure. Okay. So I didn't know if you still got And he was quite the brown noser. And really kind of nobody in my class liked him. I got along with him. He was my lab partner for a while, so we got we got along. I mean, we studied together first year and stuff. But as time went on, you know, uh, as I made other connections, I sort of backed away a little bit. And uh, he was, you know, it was kind of sad because he was sort of alone at the end, but he brought it on himself. Yeah. You know, he would do things like uh, when we were um, uh, in uh, fourth year, um, we had a guy in my class that had gotten held back, but it wasn't common knowledge. So, and his name was Denomi. And uh, th- so this guy is in the lab with me. And this Denomi guy comes in with two tubes of blood because back then we had to draw all the blood in the hospital. We didn't have phlebotomy teams. And this guy that I'm talking about just looked at him and went, come on, Denomi, why don't you get up? third year to do that and the way he said third year with such disdain even though it was really only like two months since we ourselves had been third years and so he was already <laughs> dumping on people and what was worse was we all loved this denomi guy and he actually was a third year because he wasn't in our <laughs> class anymore so it was just bad all around so anyway we were all hoping kind of hoping for something with you know this guy would get his comeuppance well we had a professor at the University of North Carolina. His name was Newton Fisher, and he had an IQ of about 220. Oh, wow. And uh, he was our ENT professor. And back then, if you got head and neck cancer, they would just take your head and neck off, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, they, uh, the, the pictures that he would show us were just horrific. I mean, mm. they looked like that movie Dr. Sardonicus or something, you know, where just half of the face is gone and you see the teeth. And uh, and the turbinates and stuff, you know, from the outside. I mean, these sure. people looked horrible. And so um, uh, Newton Fisher would get up in front of us in this lecture, and he would uh, show us a picture of someone with half their face removed. And then he would go, if you miss this diagnosis, I will despise you. And we were all sort of shaking in our boots, but kind of laughing at the same time. And this guy I'm talking about was sitting Right in the front row, okay, there was him and then four rows Mm. of nobody and then the rest of us, (laughs) right, and then him. (laughs) And Newton Fisher was up on this podium, you know, on a little stage up above. So you had to – if you were on the front row, you had to crane your neck like if you're at the front row of the movies, right? So then he shows us another slide. If you miss this diagnosis – I will despise you. <laughs> and again, we're all sort of shuddering, but um, you know, <laughs> laughing at the same time because it was so. I mean, it was just extreme. Yeah. It was yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And uh, he does this two or three more times, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of his lecture, he just stops cold and looks down at this guy, and he goes, "Your beatific smile is insipid, sir." <laughs> <laughs> and then just goes back on with his lecture, and we just oh. were like. Ah! <laughs> and we still, to this day, I mean, our, our skit for the next three years had that line in it, your beatific smile mm-hmm. is insipid, sir, because we had end-of-the-year skits. Um, so <laughs> 
if you look on this guy's health grade, you know what health grades yeah, is? Sure. Of course. If you look on his health grades no. profile, <laughs> it's a, just scroll down. I would love to give his name out so that our listeners could look him up. But if you scr- if when we are done, I will show you. I'm ruining the joke because I always tell this story to my um, – to my medical students and stuff, and then I'll scroll down and about five down, there it is. Your beatific, at three stars, your beatific smile is insipid, sir. Mm. Signed, Newton Fisher. That's hilarious. Yeah, it sounds like things haven't really changed much for medical school. No, 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 And and as soon as I got it up there, of course, I called my best friend from medical school and I said, go, go check the, you know, so-and-so's health grades right now. And then we were still laughing just like we were, you know, 30. when, When was that 30 god 35 years ago oh no way yeah wow, that's yeah. hilarious <laughs> that's, pretty <laughs> that's pretty cool but anyway so you just sort of reminded me of that when you were so was it his beatific smile <laughs> ooh, 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 i've got the right answer to each well we're we're if anything used to getting all the answers wrong so <laughs> yeah right, right, that's right. the that's the first lesson you learn well that is um uh, so, okay so i'm in surgery right mm-hmm and they would pimp us with these questions, and we would never know them. It's like, when was this sur- surgery first performed and all this stuff? And I'm like, hell, I don't know. Who cares? I can tell you what that is mm-hmm. I'm looking at, but <clears throat> I don't know any of this stuff. So I finally realized that the professors were getting this stuff straight out of this one particular surgical textbook. So I had to do a cholecystectomy the next day. And so I read up on it. I read up on the history, who did it first, and, you know, I don't know, William Osler, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, and he did. He asked me, you know, well, who, who first performed this? And I said, oh, that was so-and-so in 19, whatever, in 18, whatever it was. And he was like, oh, very good. And then just started to mercilessly ask me questions until I couldn't get one. <laughs> and that, that's the end game. The end game is to do the Socratic method until you have no answer. Exactly. So just get the first one wrong the first time, and then you're and then you're done. You're set. Yeah. Then you're done. They know you're a dumbass, and they'll move on. And they'll move on (laughs) because they don't really expect you to know it anyway. No, not at all. You know, so they're just effing with you. The other thing that you'll learn is this thing called the attending syndrome. I'm sure you've already learned that, where you go in and talk to a patient. And you come out with one history, and then the attending goes in, and the patient tells them something exactly the opposite. Completely different, yeah. So much more fun to be the attending in that situation, because <laughs> I can just go, ah, don't worry about it. Crap happened to me all the time when I was in medical school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you going to do? I am going into primary care. I'm going to be a, a family medicine doctor out in the small town. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, yeah. Do you know which small town or just any small town? Not yet. You know, I'm from Texas, so it's likely I could end a up there. A million small towns. My families are there, but um, I could I could go anywhere, man. I'm, I'm just excited to, to be a doctor. Now, if, yeah. if Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. And I'm glad you are because really only people who are called to do this should actually do it. Yeah. But because um, uh, if you're doing it for the money, it, you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, I, you may be okay with this, but I had to live in a different town than I practiced in for a while. Sure. Because when I lived in the same town that I practiced in, um, I couldn't go to the street fair. I couldn't go to the grocery store or Walmart without somebody, well, did you get my mama's uh, lab test back? It's like... (laughs) First off, I don't, who the hell are you? And by <laughs> extension, who the hell is your mama? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I yeah. can't talk to you about it here anyway. 
Yeah, you know? I, I don't know. So I sort of had that thought at first when I was thinking about especially wanting to go to a small town. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought a lot about, do I want to see people in the grocery store or at baseball games or whatever that I know? Some people love that. that. Mm-hmm. And I think I thrive on it, but I haven't experienced it fully yet. Yeah. So right now it's the goal, but I may get out there and do some rotations and find yeah. out that it's not for me. I, I, we'll I My main thing, I don't know if you're a churchgoer, but I didn't want to go to church with people I was treating. I think so I did go to yeah. church in a different town, even when I lived in the same town. Well, I think that's just a good strategy if you're in medicine or not. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to sleep where you you know. Yeah, 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 is. yeah. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good deal. All right, hey, check out uh, Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. Oh, it's simply herbals. I read it wrong. It's right, close for like the thousandth time. <laughs> and uh, don't forget to listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and. Um, we are right now, oh, I guess we can't plug this. Well, yeah, we can, because um, some people hear this before, but uh, uh, this Saturday night, Dave Cecil at mm-hmm. Live at the Beer Run. Mm-hmm. You better get there, not only to see him while you still can in such a small place, but as long as the Beer Run is actually still open. All right, so while it's open, right. Because we, holy moly, this okay. was should have been a lot easier than it was. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden now we have to serve food. To st- mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like uh, we weren't really equipped for that. We just want to sell beer. We just like to sling beer. People sit around. They, they relax out by the river. Play, yes. Play a little music. That's it, period. We don't want to be... You know, restaurateurs. Food. Oh my God! Drive when me, we have a restaurant next door, when we have a restaurant right next door, yeah, literally attached to us. Literally, same same front door. It's bizarre, isn't it? Well, I guess we can't talk about any people further are, on that, but it is people are crazy. Hey, but, but if they're in town, we are we are there now. Yep. We're, we're, well, we Doctor yeah. Stephen, I may be opening up just in case anybody wants to come check it out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. That, mean, right. that means Dave, that means Dave got stuck coming over the mountain in the snow. Yeah, that's true. That's that, true. That'll it be is bad. supposed to snow this weekend. Hell, it snowed like crazy this morning. Yeah, but I mean, it's supposed to actually snow yeah. this weekend. So, mm. uh, but we're going to do podcast um, at two, and we'll broadcast it live mm-hmm. on uh, our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And then um, we will uh, have the um, live event December 8th at uh, 7 p.m. at the Beer Run. So if you're listening to this before then, uh, feel free to come. Mm -hmm. And admission is free. And if you come, introduce yourself as a listener. uh, Scott and I will buy you a beer, too. That's right. Always drink responsibly. Always drink responsibly. All right. And uh, beer will be cold, and the mu- music's going to be hot. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so so we are back. Uh, I, I, I came this close to making the show disappear. I actually talked to Jim McClure, said, just get ready. When I say the word, I need this to be like it never happened. What is that, uh, service pro or whatever, mm-hmm. like it never service happened? Pro, right. And um, I talked about being depressed, and I was depressed, but it turns out I was – Blaming it on GVAC, Mm -hmm. but really what it was was I had reactive depression. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about clinical major depression and reactive depression. Now, um, Ryan, have you guys talked about the difference between those two things? Uh, A little bit. I'll follow along and pipe in if I... Okay. I was was (laughs) going to have you discourse on it. But, uh, you know... uh, uh, reactive depression is a depression that has a known cause. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, ma- regular depression is what we call idiopathic, meaning 
the doctor's an idiot and the patient is pathetic, but it really means we just don't know what's causing it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's a change in, in brain chemistry. And the weird thing is, is that reactive depression causes the same changes in brain chemistry. So if you um, drive your serotonin levels in your brain down, you'll get depressed. If you get depressed, you'll drive your serotonin levels down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just it works going in both directions. But uh, I finally analyzed it um, that uh, the real reason that I was depressed was, and this is sort of self-referential, I was going to have to make the the show go away Mm -hmm. because I was taking a job with a Fortune 500 company. Well, guess what? I'm not going to – I have realized that I am not made for corporate life. No. On that level. I was supposed to be a regional – executive and um and dealing with corporate culture drives me crazy now um and when i realized that i was going to have to make the show go away i got depressed and that made me want to make the show go away because i just felt like i didn't have it in me anymore Mm -hmm. and um so (laughs) so i'll tell you a little bit about this you know i went to this interview Mm -hmm. And uh, they were so uncoordinated. And you know what a detail-oriented person I am, Scott. When we do do. do the comedy shows, I've got this list of a a thousand things to do. You've got a notebook, yeah. I do. Literally. And I I do most of it myself. I'll delegate some of it. Like Diane deals with picking up the comedians at the – because she's a supermodel. You didn't get to meet her. But, you know, an aging supermodel, but a supermodel nonetheless. (laughs) And – and she, you know, she picks them up, and I can count on her because she's a party planner for the company that we work for, or a meeting planner. But, um, you know, I, I'm just very detail-oriented, and I want to—I think of every single thing that can go wrong, which is good because then I make sure that I've got backup plans, uh, backup plans, yeah, yeah. and safety nets and stuff like that. So, but I go to this thing now. This is a Fortune 500 corporation, and my first interview started at seven in the morning. And then uh, the fourth one of the morning, the guy wasn't there, so he called me on the phone, talked to me for an hour. I'm a very nice guy. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
And then I'm sitting there. It's noon. And uh, am I supposed to get my own lunch? Is somebody bringing it? Am I missing a lunch oh, meeting? No. Because I've been to interviews like that where they have everybody gets together and they all eat lunch together, see how you can socialize and stuff. And uh, nothing. Nobody. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. It's 10 after, 15 after. This, this is going to sound trivial, but this wasn't the only thing. That's a huge red flag. You know, yeah. So uh, I went down. I knew where mm-hmm. human resources were. It was on the floor below. So I went down to that floor, and I found the HR person. I said, am I supposed to be somewhere? And they're like, no, not that we know of. So I was in downtown Nashville. So by the time I um, uh, uh, realized that I had to go get my own lunch, which I'm not a big baby. I'm this. Uh, this is not a princess in the pea situation. No. Uh, but it is common courtesy to offer somebody a bottle of water, or mm-hmm. if it's lunchtime, offer them lunch. And so I just went down to uh, what's the big street in Nashville, but down by the Ryman Broadway. Broadway. Yep. Yeah. So I just went down there. By the time I got down there, mm-hmm. I didn't have time to eat. You know, by the time I said I would be late for my next interview, so I had another four interviews to do. So I just walked in a big sort, walked around the block and came back. Again, no one asked me, "Hey, did you get something to eat? Do you want a bottle of water?" Nothing. They would show up for their part of the interview and leave. Okay, so that was bad enough. Um, It. uh, I had been talking to the CEO for months, Mm -hmm. and uh, oh, I'm going to call you on Friday. Oh, I, you know, I got, let me call you on Monday. Okay. Oh, something came up. I let me call you on Tuesday. And that, that, this went on for three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, come on. If you really want to talk to somebody, you could, you're going to make time. You make make time to talk to somebody. So I, um, uh, they offered me the job. Just you know, uh, I was fine. You know, I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to work with these people. And they were very, very corporate despite being so disorganized, you know. And uh, so they offered me the job, and that's when I started going through this depression mm-hmm. because uh, it's nice to be wanted, and I really kind of wanted to do it because I wasn't thrilled with my, jo- my job at the time, although mm-hmm. th- that's gotten a lot, lot better. <clears throat> and um, so I was going to take this job, and uh, that's when I went through all this business. I'm going to have to shut it down, and mm-hmm. I got – it was sort of uh, – rolling around and got got me more and more depressed so i called the ceo and i said listen i got to tell you something um i know you guys did a background check on me but something you may not be aware of is that i have a show on sirius xm i also have a show on a on uh you know on a, the Riotcast network mm-hmm. and i advise behind the scenes on the jim and sam and used to do on opie and anthony and i do a little bit on uh, the howard stern, stern show yep. and he said this makes you even more interesting to me than you were before. I, I wouldn't worry about it, but I'll let, I'm gonna I'll check into it, and make sure it's not gonna be a problem with the corporation, and I'll check back with you on Monday. This was on Friday, so three days. I figure, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just see. And if they say they they can't live with it, then I will officially make it go away if I want to take this job. Mm-hmm. Five weeks later, <laughs> don't hear a thing. <laughs> nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> nothing. And at that point, my job had kind of fixed itself. We went through a merger, and and uh, uh, I'm I'm very happy with the direction my job is going in now. So well, like, that's I'm, 180 degrees from where we were a week. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the truth, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm very very good, happy with good, it. Good, good, yeah, that uh, makes me happy. So uh, you know, my depression lifted mm-hmm. because I realized I don't want to give this up. 
I don't want to give up weird medicine. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a corporate wonk. No. I cannot work with people who are li- like that. No way. You know? Uh, because I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, as, as goofy and odd as I am, you know, I, I return people's phone calls. Yes. I, you know, hell, I return the... I, uh, I, I message the people that send us voicemails on this show, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. So, and it, and it irritates me if I send somebody an email with a bunch of information and, and I just get nothing back. Now, mm-hmm. there are a few people in my life that still pull that, but mm-hmm. I never do. I'll at least say I got, got it, it, whatever. Yeah, working sure, on it, yeah. sure. I just realized just I, be couldn't, courteous. I couldn't work with them. Just to be courteous, I think. And, I, you know, I, I've known you for a long time. I know you well enough. That's, that, I really do believe that would have been a terrible, yeah. terrible marriage. Well, I'm an know. ex-hippie. Uh, I, Ryan's never seen this. But mm. I'm going to show you a picture of me in 1977. Okay. And then you will, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you go online and uh, go to the Mando Birch uh, YouTube mm-hmm. thing, that's on our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dr. Steve's college band gets shit on or something like that. This mm-hmm. picture is on there so you can see. But that was me in the 70s. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that hair. I know. That's so I went awesome. from long, straight hair down to my ass to a permed mullet in the 80s to where I am now, which is just gray-headed old man look. So. The perm look is fabulous, man. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I, I've seen those pictures. They're per, they per, permed mullet, fabulous, <laughs> fabulous. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, so we're back. Uh, I am anticipating doing some great things on this show. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a show. We're gonna next week for our holiday show. We're just gonna have Dave Cecil in, and we're gonna do an hour with him, just because I can, right. And then after that, we're going to get back to doing the show the, reg- the way we used to. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, when Don Wicklin was running the channel, we were going to do um, uh, a live li- call-in live shows yeah. on Saturday yeah. night. And yeah. I would like to talk to Jim McClure about maybe doing that. Mm-hmm. It, it, we would incur some expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it requires them to have an employee there running the board on their end mm-hmm. and making sure the phones are working mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So um, I don't know if they want to spend that kind of money on us or not. Um, they certainly are. You, you, you and I would have to get a little bit of a raise, you would think. Nah. <laughs> no, they would probably just not pay us and use the, <laughs> less, yeah. the little mo- money that they do pay. To the person answering the phones. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, when uh, P.A. John and I first – this is way before your time. You were probably 12 at the time. <laughs> <clears throat> first uh, did our first show at um, uh, the Sirius XM Studios. It was such a success that we walked out of there. And Anthony Cumia said it's the best first show I've ever seen. People you know, loved it. The phone banks were just slammed. We had to bump our first guest, which was E-Rock, which was wow. hilarious. <laughs> and we walked out of there and looked up at the Parker Meridian, which is you know a nice hotel on 57th Street, <laughs> and uh, saw all the condos on the top, you know, the penthouse. It's like, which one of those should we buy? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. Uh, and then the next four years, we did the show for free for mm-hmm. flat nothing i mean it cost us money mm-hmm. i'm just barely finally recouping the amount of money we spent on flying up there to do it oh wow <clears throat> and um and putting people up i mean one year we took five people up there we mm-hmm. took the whole crew mm-hmm. double vasectomy shit and uh mm-hmm. 
uh, Jefferson the Shyster and uh, mm-hmm. P.A. John and uh, Chess Payne Rob even. Chess Payne Rob. You never met I him, never met him. Uh-uh. Yeah. That was before me. You ever I've heard, been around for about 10 years. Heard of Chess Payne Rob? No. He was a regular on the show, and the reason he got called that, what a dumbass. He he <laughs> one day got chest pain, right? And he went to the emergency room, and he got checked out, and everything was okay. But he went home that night, and that night he's taking his shirt off, and there's an EKG lead on his chest. And his wife says, what's that? Well, the rest, you know the rest of the story. (laughs) He never told his wife he went to the emergency room because he was having what he thought was angina. Uh And she didn't have sex with him for a month. She was so (laughs) fucking mad at him that he had just done this on his own. (laughs) And and so anyway, he got the name Chess Pain Rob. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, he was a good guy. And now he's a... He's a paramedic somewhere. Oh, is he? Yeah, so oh, he went cool. from doing this to being a paramedic, which I thought was pretty cool. Hmm. Now, tell us how we influenced your uh, journey through this medical school thing. Absolutely. Well, and so eventually we'll answer probably one phone call. <laughs> well, I started medical school about you know three and a half years ago, and when I was uh, starting my, my studies and stuff, I wanted to have something other than a book to read uh, to, to get some learning in, and so I, I was a big podcast guy um, all through high school. And college, really? yeah, yeah, back in the day, um, usually music podcasts, books, things like that. Not not so much comedy or, or um, anything scientific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I I started googling just for some to find some medicine type podcasts that I could listen to and hopefully learn a thing or two. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I stumbled upon y'all. Really? <laughs> so that, you know, I was just <laughs> kidding when I said, "Please tell us how we influenced your career." So, well, it was mainly it was mainly I think I learned how to talk to patients, like how to answer questions. And yeah. you know, like I'm okay. being serious um, because I think that a lot of people in my class struggle with that. They don't know how to. Sure. Uh, dumb things down to a level or just simplify things down. Not even the, dumbing them yeah, down. That's the, just speaking like a human being. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'll give you one tip, too, before you go on. There are two words that we use that mm-hmm. are, mean exactly the opposite. And you might have heard this on the show, that of, of the meaning that our patients use it for. Mm-hmm. That's positive and negative. Sure. So... If you have a positive outlook, that's a good thing. If you have a positive balance in your in your um, checking, checking account, account sure. that's a good thing. If your biopsy is positive, that's a bad that's thing. Terrible. And Horrible. We had somebody just the other – who was that, that that was in here that said that uh, – maybe they weren't here in the studio, but it was somebody in my life said that their mother called them and said, oh, thank God, they called me from the – from the um, um, doctor's office, and they said my influenza test was positive. Oh, and she thought that meant she didn't have and, uh, influenza. <laughs> because, of course, well, it's a good thing. It's positive. So we would uh, – and negative, the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, negative means bad things yep. in our patients' lives. But when we say it, like if the biopsy is negative, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's like uh, – um, Orwell's newspeak, you know, everything is backwards, you know, hate is love and war is peace and all this stuff. And uh, so I highly recommend that that all prime, uh, all physicians use the words normal and abnormal instead mm-hmm. of positive and negative. But anyway, go on. Yeah, well, but, but I, yeah, your classmates suck at this. Yeah, <laughs> and, and a lot of us do, I think, because we learn this whole new language when yeah. we start school. And you want to use it. Exactly, and we want to sound smart and sound fun. Yes, yeah. I did the same thing. 
But then it's confusing because it's confusing to us as learners and then to our patients who haven't been through medical school. It's it's also confusing. And so just learning how to simplify things and and talk frankly and straight with people, I think they appreciate that. And and so I really appreciated listening to Mm y'all over the last few years and and just finding those common things that that people have questions about or don't want to talk about and just being able to answer questions in a a straightforward, uncensored kind of way. And being comfortable talking about things that people aren't comfortable talking about. Like a lot of doctors are not comfortable talking about death and dying. Why? Because they're going to die just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And they're just as freaked out about it as everyone else. So, you know, I think I went into palliative medicine to deal with my own issues of mortality. Sure. Yeah, I I really do. But, um, you know, doing it and doing it often and screwing it up and then doing it better. It's just like being a comedian. You know, these comedians will tell you they'll get up and they'll start telling jokes and they'll see what little part of that joke worked and they'll keep that and then change the rest until they get the whole thing working. And I've noticed I work the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, I have this spiel about Code Blue that I have worked on now for 35 years and I finally got it to where it's almost perfect. You know, but it does take, and I've noticed over time that it changes subtly as I see, oop, now that they didn't, it didn't quite land, but if I said it this way, it landed better and all that stuff, and you put it all together. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, it's an ongoing thing. You'll get better at it as you go if you care about it. A lot of yeah, doctors don't yeah. care about it. Mm-hmm. But I hear residents talking to people, well, you know, you've had a, you know, a primary. Uh, myocardial infarction of the left anterior <laughs> descending artery and the patient's just looking at them or the, you know, here's a good one for you. Okay. If you're talking medical stuff or uh, sorry, um, pain stuff, mm-hmm. we will always in medicine convert everything to oral morphine equivalents. Mm-hmm. So if you've got somebody that's on a Dilaudid or hydromorphone pump and they're getting 12 milligrams an hour, let me work this out. Uh, well, let's say 12 milligrams a day. That's going to work out easier for me. That's 240 uh, oral morphine equivalents per day, right? Mm-hmm. If you say that to a patient, they're going to look at you with the blankest stare because they're not going to have any context. But if you say that's the equivalent to 24 Lortab 10s, mm-hmm. if they've ever taken any pain medication, they know exactly what you're talking about. And then they'll go, oh, God. Yeah, it's in you terms know. they know and are familiar with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I'm talking to physicians, I'll talk in morph- oral morphine equivalents. If I'm talking to patients, I'll talk in Lortab 10 equivalents. Sure, sure. <laughs> so stuff like that. But anyway. That's well, awesome. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we were in some way able to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, have some influence on you. And, and uh, critical thinking is one of the things that I'm really big on. And uh, uh, if, if a lot of our colleagues are dumbasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. Mm-hmm. The ones out there that are putting people on, uh, you know, Z-packs for colds and stuff, mm-hmm. they're dumbasses. Yeah. Use some critical thinking. Learn how to talk to people. Well, they want it. Well, okay. So, so what? You know, yeah. they want Xanax and Percocet, too. You don't just don't we write all? that. <laughs> hey, and may, may, may I make an observation, too? Of course. For the, the, the soon, you know, the, uh, the young doctor is... What to me the most important thing is being a great listener. Sure. Okay. Uh, my grandfather went blind from glaucoma and um, cataracts, 
in in his older days, and he was living. Oh, in the weather! But have you yeah. seen the weather out there today? No, <laughs> exactly. So you know, I so I used to sit around with him and just close my eyes and listen, you know, because we'd listen to the baseball games or whatever. Yeah. And and that's and I think that's a huge thing about you know when you're having patient interaction is actually listening to what they're fucking telling you. Because yeah. nine out of ten times they're going to tell you what's wrong with them. Exactly. Um, they just don't know how to articulate. That's it a good specifically. point. Specifically, they don't know exactly the terms to put in, which is our jobs, right? But li- being a great listener, in fact, a book I'm reading right now is um, it's called Zen and the Art of Listening. Oh, oh and cool. it's fabulous. I would suggest you, you, you Scott actually reads books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that, he makes a really good point. I have I saw a person die because people were not listening to him. He mm-hmm. came into the emergency room saying he had a sore throat. Mm-hmm. And so part of this is, you know, p- patients just don't present in a textbook way. But what he meant was, I'm having left-sided chest pain, and it's radiating to my neck. Oh, gosh. Well, they put him in the, you know, acute ambulatory side, thinking he had strep, because no one asked any other questions. Just, yeah. oh, sore throat? You go over there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, right. when they came in to see him, he's dead. So, mm-hmm. well, um, well, I- I'll tell this story. I guess we're not going to answer any questions today. Uh, we're just going to talk about. I do have one great topic, though. If we need okay. A topic. Well, <laughs> I had we um, uh, this example of people not listening to somebody. Oh yeah. Um, I'm a second year resident, and um, the uh, at that time it was just the resident and the attending, and the attending was in the office, so I was there by myself, and they called me to the emergency room to see this guy, who. Um, I should. Uh, this is sort of my Christmas story. Uh, who uh, had been in the emergency room multiple, multiple times, complaining of a demon in his abdomen, and they would give him a shot of Thorazine and they'd send him home. Well, they knew he had hepatocellular cancer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Uh. But you know, this demon in his abdomen. He would complain of that. They just thought he was what we would call encephalopathic or just talking out of his dang head. Mm-hmm. So they give him a shot of Thorazine or Haldol, which is a you know a, for people with who are Psychos. psychotic, mm-hmm. and send him home. Well, <clears throat> when I went down to see him, it was obvious I wasn't going to be sending him home because he had a blood pressure of seventy over nothing. He had a fever of one hundred and four, mm-hmm. and he had this hepatocellular cancer. And it was pretty obvious he wasn't going to make it. Mm. So uh, I was going to admit him. And while I'm talking to him, I said uh, my standard code blue thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if you die, do you want us to do chest compressions on you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, if, if you die, do you want us to put you on life support? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to do everything. You got to keep me alive. Keep me alive no matter what. I'm like, okay. okay. Well, I didn't really have the tools to deal with it at the time, so I just said, okay. So I just write the order full code, mm-hmm. and I'm writing all these uh, orders up sitting next to his bed in the emergency room, and everything was back on paper back then. And during this time, he's yelling, you know, Lord, don't send me into that lake of fire. And then he would sing these hymns, you know, uh, gospel hymns at the top of his lungs. And uh, uh, so I, I'm taking him up to the to the unit, we you know they're pushing him up on the on the bed, up into the unit, 
And we get up there, and he's modeled. I mean, he is mm-hmm. so obviously going to die. Mm-hmm. And uh, the nurses up there were like, why are you bringing him up here? He's going to die. I said, I, I know, but I, the only place I can do the things that he wants me to do are in the intensive care unit. So I've got – this is where the only place I can do it because there are certain medications you can only give in the intensive care unit, mm-hmm. including what we call pressors mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. medications to keep blood pressure sure. up and things like that. <clears throat> so – so I get all that stuff going, and he immediately lapses into a coma. Or he becomes unconscious anyway, and I can't rouse him. So when he did that, I did the most reprehensible thing I've ever done in my career, which was as soon as he couldn't defend himself, I went running around trying to get somebody around him to make him a DNR. In mm-hmm. other words, uh, so for the people who don't know, a DNR means do not attempt resuscitation. It just simply means if somebody dies, we let them go with, without doing all that stuff that we do like mm-hmm. you've seen in the movies. So <clears> – and by the way, at the best of times, in Dr. Ryan's case, if he were to die right now, God forbid, and we did CPR on him and did the full bore thing, he only has a 15 percent chance of surviving. So you mm-hmm. can imagine what this guy's chances were. Well, anyway – so I got a hold of the the patient's um, uh, uh, friend that brought him in. She said, I'm not making any decisions. Call his brother. His brother lives in Cincinnati, and um, uh, you can talk to him about it. So I call the brother, tell him the whole story, and he says, I'm not making any decisions till I see my brother. I'm on my way. Click. So we're on the hook for at least 24 hours till the brother gets there. Oh, jeez. During this time, <clears throat> the patient – would uh, be lapse into unconsciousness, then wake up, sing hymns at the top of his lungs, yell, Lord, don't send me into that lake of fire, and then go right back into being unconscious again. So the next day, he survived the night. The next day, because I was pretty good at what I was doing, and the next day, the brother shows up, and uh, he goes in to, you know, I explain the situation to him. He goes in to see the brother, the patient, and uh, he just walks in without even saying how do you do. He goes, brother, do you want to live? And I'm like behind him going, God, don't ask. Who would say no to that? Right. Sure. You know? Uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I want to live. And so I kind of over, I couldn't keep my mouth shut over the shoulder of the brother and go, do you want to live like this, though? And he's like, no, no, I don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, uh, I'm still confused. I walked back uh, and Remember, this is I'm at the beginning of my training. Mm-hmm. I'm a senior resident, but a very newly senior resident. And so I sit back down with the brother out in the little chapel area, family meeting room, and he says, you know what's wrong, don't you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> if, I know I do not. If you do, please enlighten me. And he said, uh, uh, my brother's never been saved. And he thinks – and at first I, I kind of interrupted him. I said, look, anybody that, that – um, uh, sings that many hymns and talks to God as much as he does. Believe me, he's been saved. He said, no, 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 no. What I mean is he's never been baptized. And he thinks if he dies before he's baptized, he's going to go to hell because he thinks that that pain in his liver is a demon that's holding on to his liver and is going to pull him into hell when he dies. Oh, wow. So at that moment, I had a flash of insight at that moment. I realized several things. Number one, that this guy's was being treated for his religious beliefs in the emergency room with Haldol and Thorazine, oh, right? Oh, no, yeah. Jo- he and Joan of Arc had something in common. They both, everybody <laughs> thought they were crazy. He had a legitimate, I mean, it's legitimate as any other religious belief, sure. belief that this 
demon, you know, mm-hmm. the pain in his abdomen was a demon going to pull him into hell. And the other thing I realized was I, what I was really dealing with was a problem in problem solving. Mm-hmm. No one had talked to no one had listened to this guy, you know, including me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, here, here's how his problem solving went. I've never been baptized. If I die unbaptized, I'm going to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Therefore, I must never die. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I thought what might be slightly more functional, having been in this job for a whole year, uh, uh, but knowing that we none of us get out of here alive, was I've never been baptized. If I die unbaptized, I'm going to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Therefore, I need to get baptized. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, break the chain. Yeah. So I, you know, I asked the brother, you think, you know, if I got him baptized here, he'd be cool. He's like, well, yeah. So I called the the um, uh, chaplain, and he was like an Anabaptist or something like that. I'm not even sure what that is. But he, um, I said, can you baptize somebody in the hospital? He said, I can baptize somebody anywhere. Okay. So I said, well, I've, I got one for you. So he came up there into the intensive care unit, said, I'll just be a minute, shut the door, and it got really, really loud in there, like really loud, not not like get out or anything like that, but, but more, uh, wait a minute, I can do that better. Get out! <laughs> it, it wasn't like that. It was more like very charismatic. They were both very charismatic, and the patient was was you know singing hymns at the top of his lungs and the preacher was really loud Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it got really quiet in there it was so quiet and the uh, preacher came out and he said well i'm done i'll see y'all later and i was like who was that masked man because when we walked in the it was the patient was so quiet i thought he had died Wow. wow! You know that he was yeah. even more quiet than he was when he was unconscious. Hmm. But he, when he was unconscious, even then he was conflicted, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, uh, but now he wasn't anymore. And the brother walked in, and the patient was just sitting there looking up at the ceiling. And the brother said, "How you doing, buddy?" And the patient said, "I want to go home." Mm-hmm. Wow! And <laughs> you know, we sent him home with the hospice. It was you know a short, uh, uh, you know a. Sh- she had a short length of stay, so it was a late referral. But um, he had, was on minimal pain medication. I happened to see the woman that brought him in about th- you know afterward, mm. and he died three days later. In pain was never ever an issue again. Mm. She said that was the happiest she'd ever seen him. Mm. So this was a situation wow. of what we call pure spiritual pain, which is pain that can't be treated with with a pill a medicine yeah yeah and nobody including me were listening to him and if i hadn't wanted to get him off my service so bad because that's what you want to do when you're a second year i probably wouldn't have spent the time to figure it out myself you know in hindsight and i didn't think it was that big of a deal at the time until uh we had a um uh, all of the programs here have a uh, program psychologist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he caught wind of it and um he, he he just went, damn, dude, that was a hell of a thing you did there. And it was like, really? And because, you know, when you're a resident, it's buff and turf. You're mm-hmm. trying to buff these patients up mm-hmm. so you can turf them to somebody else. Yeah. And I turfed them. I buffed them up, and I turfed them to hospice. You know, that's really I, – I, I was in that, that uh, mechanistic sort of um, – 
mercenary mode, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't really think about it as being a great thing until about two weeks later. And then when I really sat back and reflected on it, I was like, wow, you know, we really can have a big effect. Yeah, I think it's just a great lesson, no matter if you're in medicine or whatever, just take the time to slop, stop, slow down for a minute and just yeah. listen. I think you'll discover some things about yourself or whatever situation you're in. I think. Well, that's, and I think that's why home visits are valuable, too, because mm-hmm. when you see somebody in your office, they're going to be one way. But uh, you're kind of treating them in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And when you see them in their environment, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in art, we always talked about, it, like, if you're going to draw a hand, right? Mm-hmm. It's got, you're drawing the hand in contrast to the background. Sure. You can't draw the hand. Um, I mean, you, you don't see a hand just isolated in space, in yeah. end space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you see it in, in relation to its background. And mm-hmm. when you see patients at the home, you're seeing them in relation to their background mm-hmm. or, you know, what's going on around them. Absolutely. It's extremely valuable. Absolutely. So, cool. Anyway, there you go. Great story. There's your story. If I had... Uh, Sherwin Sleeves, uh, uh, the La La song behind me, it would have been perfect. But, um, speaking of Sherwin Sleeves, by the way, uh, those of you out there who are fans of the good Mr. Sleeves uh, should check out two things. Get on YouTube and search for Sherwin Sleeves Plays Minecraft. Because it is the my kids think that's the funniest video they've ever seen. Hmm. Because it's Sherwin Sleeves, like this old man character, and he's playing Minecraft, and he, and he just keeps getting killed, and he's spinning around <laughs> in circles and talking to the those pigs that run around, and he's like, "Am am I to communicate with you, my friend? <laughs> you know, good lord!" <laughs> and he's dead again, and he slimes. Oh. I, I do not like these slimes. It's just the greatest. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second Sherwin Sleeves oh thing gosh. that you need to check out is the show on Amazon Prime called Patriot. Oh. And Patriot is written and directed, every episode, written and directed by Steve Conrad, who is got to be the hardest working guy in TV mm-hmm. because I mean, he goes to all the locations, to, films every episode, writes every episode. The whole thing is his baby. Um, but his one of his co-writers is none other than Sherwin Sleeves, which explained to me why the songs are so effing odd in this show. Mm-hmm. He Sleeves had to have some. His real name is Sean Hurley. Uh, had to have had something to do with the songs. This guy uh, is a CIA agent, and he can only express himself in song. And so the songs he talks about. And so in the second season, particularly, the songs do all the exposition. They tell you what he's going to do, when he's going to do it. Hmm. But they're these kind of pop folk songs. Oh, wow. But they're just crazy. And he's talking about bashing people's heads in. And, you know, he's sad because he had to shoot that guy and all this kind of stuff. It's just the craziest damn thing. Patriot. So Patriot is absolutely well worth it if you are if you can handle some surrealism okay. in your yeah, life. Yeah, that's cool. I need to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So anyway. Something all right. Well. Good been a while. Number one thing. Don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Yeah, we've got four minutes. We can get one in. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Hey, Dr. Steve, it's Mike Gollin from New York. I'm listening to the uh, podcast about squirting. It's Frankie Five Angels. I think you need to do your experiment one last time to put this to rest. Um, You tested and you found the prostatic-specific antigen as well as creatine. But if you take that same porn star and test just her urine 
and see if it contains the prosthetic specific antigen. Perhaps somehow her body is producing and expelling that in a way. Yeah, no, he's right. If if you're going to do the study correctly, so what he's talking about was uh, Harry Fish on Howard Stern tested a porn star's squirtage for um, creatinine and con- and saw creatinine in it and concluded it was just urine. And then mm-hmm. we did the same experiment mm-hmm. and tested it for prostatic-specific antigen and, and uh, concluded that it can't just be urine. He's right um, that uh, it would have been much more conclusive if we had catheterized her or had her do a clean catch uh, prior to doing this that showed no uh, prostatic-specific antigen in her urine. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> oh boy, um, we didn't do that because um, there, in the normal person, there's no prosthetic-specific antigen in their urine. So, mm-hmm. unless you uh, do a prostate exam on them, <laughs> and she didn't have a prostate, so. But uh, yeah, he is absolutely right. That would have been fu- that would have been a, a conclusive study. So, Ryan, I don't know if if you're aware of this. I've talked mm-hmm. about it a couple of times on the show. You, um, w- there was a study where they used an ultrasound probe um, that um, showed that women with empty bladders who squirt voluminous sure. amounts yeah, yeah. actually produce a large amount of um, very dilute very fluid, dilute sure. fluid that. If you want to be technical, you can call it urine because it is produced by the kidneys and mm-hmm. expelled by the bladder. But it is this particular urine or uh, fluid is only formed during sexual stimulation and is incredibly dilute, which explains why when men, you know, I- imbibe in this delightful fluid from the gods, sure. um, uh, say that it doesn't taste anything mm-hmm. like they would think urine would taste like. Sure. It has, yeah. You know, it's a very insipid kind of taste. And uh, 50% of women, uh, up to, well, it's anywhere between 7 and 50% will do that. Mm-hmm. And then between 7 and 50% will also uh, excrete a milky fluid from their skein's glands, which mm-hmm. are the analog to the uh, prostate gland of the man. And that's where the confusion comes from, because some people do both. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's 7 to 50%, there will be a certain subfraction of women who will do both. They yeah, will have imagine like a quarter or something. Coital, right, yeah. right. They will have coital incontinence, and they will have female ejaculation mm-hmm. at the same time. And no matter what it is, it's not, quote-unquote, just piss. If you want to call that piss, you can, but it is a different fluid than the waste product that they produce uh, in normal uh, metabolism. So there you go. So shit on everybody who says it's just because things are bad. <laughs> All right, so we're back. And uh, we'll be doing a special show next week. And then we may be off if for the holiday somewhere in there. I don't know what the schedule is. But starting, uh, you know, uh, late December, early January for the next year until October, until our contract runs out, we're, we're back. So... Uh, thank you all for being with us. Uh, thanks to Dr. Ryan. Good luck in your uh, endeavors. Thank if you, you decide much. to uh, match here, of course, you're always welcome on the show. As a matter of fact, we'll make you a regular. You <laughs> just got to keep it on the DL with your uh, faculty. You betcha. Mm-hmm. Thanks always go to Dr. Scott. Uh, thanks uh, again, Ryan. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone. Hugh Jasshall, uh, Ron Bennington, Fez Watley, and um, <clears throat> uh, Eton Twats. 
whose early support of this show never has gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel. SiriusXM, 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Eastern, one or the other. Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.